0: Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hello, I am Sana. I'm alone. It's just me. It's very rare that you just hear me. But that means that Judy is off doing really important things because she is at San Diego Comic-Con. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, I'm actually going to follow her tomorrow. <laughs> But if you're listening to this podcast right now, that means we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of the chaos. And we actually can't wait for you guys to hear our Women of Marvel panel. We have a really big uh, celebration, 10th anniversary celebration panel on Saturday, July 20th at 10 a.m. in room 5AB. Um, If you guys are at San Diego this weekend, please come and join us. It's going to be a big party. We just announced a bunch of our guests But if you cannot join us in San Diego, worry not. You'll be able to hear the full panel on our next episode on August 1st. In the meantime, if you want to catch up on all things Marvel at San Diego, go ahead and visit marvel.com slash sdcc19 or just follow us everywhere on social media because there's going to be a lot, a lot going on. But this week on the podcast, we talked to some of the brilliant people behind Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost, Trail. If you guys have not heard it before, it is really, really fantastic. It's gotten some great reviews. And with us, we've got some special guests who've worked on the podcast. We have Chloe Wilson, one of the producers. We've got Chloe Presinos, associate director, and Angelique Rocher, who is a consultant producer. You can listen to Wolverine the Lost Trail now on any podcast player, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Episodes are being released weekly, and chapter. 3 came out this week. But before you do that, why don't you take a listen in on the conversation that Judy had with Chloe, Chloe, and Angelique. Hey, guys. I'm very excited to have
1: three amazing ladies joining me today. I have Chloe Percinos, Chloe Wilson. Yes, there's two Chloes. And Angelique Roche. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello. I was hoping you would do hello, hello, hello. Oh, we can harmonize. Yeah? Yeah. Hello. 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 (laughs) Okay. First of all, we did this amazing audio drama last year called Wolverine, The Long Night, and we are back for season two, um, Wolverine, The Lost Trail, which is uh, based in New Orleans, which I'm excited for, which is why we have Angelique here. First of all, for those at home, I want you to sort of get to an idea of who these three ladies are and what they do and what they do on the show. So let's kick it off with uh, Chloe P first. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, okay, so I'm one
2: of two Chloes on the show. We'll we'll get to Chloe Wilson in a minute. Hey, Chloe. That
1: was sort of foreboding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very ominous. It's, it's a cliffhanger.
3: <laughs> um, I'm just sitting in the middle enjoying the, <laughs> Chloe the <sandwich>. awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Chloe it's ambiance. It's a Chloe sandwich. It's everything I wanted. Uh, that's so cute. <laughs> um, okay, yeah,
2: so I'm Chloe Persinos. I'm the associate director of Wolverine the Lost Trail, also sound designer. I edit and I mix. And yeah, I'm just really excited to be back for season two. So as the associate director, which sounds so formal, really what it means is I just kind of like have many different jobs at many different stages of the process. So at the outset, when we were working with Ben and the producers at Marvel and Stitcher, it was about i um, helping conceptualize of the story arc at like a really macro scale. How are we going to move through 10 episodes of plot? What are the characters going to be like? Uh, and then planning for production and being on set and directing alongside Brendan Baker, directing actors. I don't know who gave me this job, but I feel so lucky to have it. And then now uh, in post-production, um, I'm sound designing and world building and helping bring these really complicated sequences that take place out in the bayou but were recorded in a studio, I'm helping conceptualize how to erase the studio and bring the bayou to life.
1: Yeah, one of the amazing things about both season one and now season two is that you guys have this like as you're listening it you feel like you're in a world where these sounds and they feel like close and they feel far away and totally. they they like when you hear like a car it drives toward you, it's pretty phenomenal. So it's, oh, that's uh, so nice magical experience I also think it was very scary oh so scary <laughs> you can't cover your
2: eyes when you're listening to a podcast
1: no you can't
2: <laughs> I cover my eyes when scary things happen in the movies so
1: what if you if you covered your eyes in this podcast would it be then more scarier maybe more scarier that's not English but that's fine I so, said
3: scary. It. so scary so <laughs> scary I'm pretty sure it would be more scarier I'm I'm, sure. I'm, I think you. you were right thank the first you time. I feel fine with it yeah no consensus the Chloe's agree
1: Thanks. Well, as long as the Chloe's
4: agree, then we're all good. (laughs) We got to get like cool stamps, just like Chloe approved. Chloe approved. Yeah. Well, we'll do it at the same time, too. Like one, two, three, and just match it. It's got to be like a
1: solid stamp. Yeah. It makes like a solid metal clanking noise. We're very Mm. solid. There you (laughs) go. (laughs) Well, speaking about the other Chloe, so Chloe, you're the producer on it. Talk a little bit about what that means.
4: So I was previously the associate producer for season one, Wolverine: The Long Night, uh, and so I've been full-on producer for this season, which has been a lot of fun. The difference there is that I get to work a little more hands-on with everything. The best way I think to summarize what a producer does, and I'm going to borrow a little bit from Claire Persinos here, is that. I do a little bit of everything. Um, I give notes on everything. I'm involved at every stage of the process. But the overarching view is that I think a producer is best when they're making sure a project is made on time, on budget, and just generally made well. And so that manifests in a lot of different ways uh, in a lot of different environments, whether it's on set or giving notes or just working at a script. Essentially, being a producer means that you are making sure everything is made on time, under budget, and just generally made well. And that manifests in a lot of different environments and ways, and you get to work with a lot of different people. So like Chloe Persinos, I've been involved in every stage, albeit a little bit more of a bird's eye view than Chloe has
1: had. Yeah, I feel like trying to explain to people what producers does is a very vague idea because, you know, the first on set, the last on set. The, f- the first and pre-pro, the last and post. Mm-hmm. So what? I, how I explain to my parents is I just manage the budget. It's not at all yeah. what we do, but that's the easiest way to explain. <laughs> but what Chloe Wilson's
2: job also is like knowing that it was day nine of production and like we were crashing and all of a sudden there she is with like really bougie cookies. You know, like she just, she comes with the sugar. She arrives with the solve for the script problem. She figures out that contract. Yeah, she's just constantly catching things that are falling. (laughs) It's one of those
4: things where it, well, first of all, always getting cookies is a labor of love. So I'm happy to go out and buy cookies. Much appreciated. Um, But I think in terms of producing this project specifically, what's been really great about it is that my job as a producer gets a lot easier when there are really awesome creatives behind each aspect and they're really clear vision and they have a clear idea of what they want to execute but just need some sort of support in executing that and where i can come in and whether it's with sugar or tea or even just be like hey like let's make these script changes or like let's shift around the schedule this way it is so much easier when you have like a great team to work with
1: yeah so, Angelique, you're actually joining uh, the season as a yep. consultant producer.
3: Yep, I am to talk
1: a little bit about New Orleans, yeah, Louisiana. It's, uh,
3: it's it's been really interesting. It's it's not my first time doing producing. It is my first time doing fiction. Um, production. And I was really excited to come in and be a consulting producer because that again is a phrase that is very vague. You never really know because there are a number of consulting producers on this particular project, which is great because you get to learn every single day from the beginning when you get the first Bible iteration what this journey is going to be. Um, but I was really excited because anytime you allow me to talk about my home state in an authentic way that doesn't make it into, that allows it to be a character, but doesn't make it into a character, if like you know what I caricature. mean. a caricature. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think this has really been a great experience only because I think... Chloe Wilson said at The Vest where it's like you get to work with really incredible creative folks Um, like immediately from the beginning sitting down speaking with Brendan and got to meet Chloe and kind of talked about where the gaps would be on what is stereotypically wrong when people try to depict Louisiana and particularly New Orleans and what would be the particular challenges, particularly in sound Mm -hmm. um, and accents when you deal with the different dialects that come from Louisiana, because there is really this this want and this desire to have everyone be fleshed out, even if you don't know their whole journey, like full characters in this and not just a stereotype and whether it was Gambit or Marcus or Guma. There was an understanding that each one of these characters would have a different richness. And that's what I I really do love about the format of podcasts, scripted dramas, where you're able to have a richness to the voice and the texture to the environment. I think there there are moments where I had to stop and go, it's just enough. It's great um, because you, you people, you know, a lot of folks who are from New York have never been to a bayou or a swamp or don't understand the concepts of New Orleans having a different. It's just a different sound texture and depth with lower buildings and you know humidity and just how it affects what sounds real and what sounds authentic and sounds rooted um, in. The location.
2: And Brendan and I were so excited when you joined the project because uh, this is my first time doing fiction also. Um, I, you know, did season one of this show as well, but my background is in documentary work. I had never, like, done an audio play or delved into the Marvel Comics universe before this. So when we learned you'd be on the project, I was so relieved because I think because our background is both in documentary narratives, we just, like, really didn't want it to feel fake. Like we knew it was going to be a made-up story, but having you there to help guide the process and make sure that the depiction felt accurate and authentic was just so important, and you've done such a good job.
3: Thank you. It, I mean, it's
1: fun. Yeah. get to talk about home. It's so interesting because the success of season one, which is sort of like this Alaskan wilderness, the snow, the cold, like you sort of felt that a little bit in that small, quiet town, and then to come to this sort of big, loud, not just like music and sound loud, but like New Orleans and Louisiana has this like feeling that's so unique to America. It has the, the Southern touch, but then at the same time, the French history and then also like the immigration history. Like it is it is a, it is a place that I very enjoy. I love going to New Orleans. I mean, obviously, who doesn't? The food is great. Mm. The food is so good. We were talking about uh, beignets before we got on and macaroons and king cakes.
3: I have such a bougie palate, um, even though I am like, you know, my dietary restrictions. Even that I'm just like, no, but I'm still kind of bougie with my dietary restrictions. Because You (laughs) grow up with you. Why would you waste calories on food that doesn't taste good? Like, I don't (laughs) I don't understand that because there's so much richness in the food and culture. And so much culture, even in the food, like why we have these certain plants, why we use these certain spices, which culture brought it into New Orleans, because New Orleans is French and Spanish and Italian and Irish and Caribbean. And it's so, It yeah, no, food. Mm, sorry.
4: What's really fun about listening to you talk about New Orleans is that the more you talk about it, you might be hearing it, people. Um her accent comes out a little more the more she goes, and it's great. It's really fun, because by the end of this, I hope you're, like, full-on in it, because I think... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it was even, like... What was In it? the one bro- of the first meetings, yeah, it was the Brooklyn. We were sitting on the roof of the Brooklyn office, and we were all talking. And I noticed by the end of it, it was very different vocal angelique. He looked the same, but <laughs> he sounded very different, and it was it, great. It's, it's fun.
3: So thick, It's the best. That was the thing, and I and I hate to say it, because you watch and you listen to so many things where folks try to fake an accent. You always get a little worried because being from Louisiana you've watched enough things where people have faked a Southern accent or they're doing a Georgia accent or a Texas accent or a Florida accent and it's not a Louisiana accent. And you're just like, I need you just to translate French into English and speak like that. And they're like, <laughs> what? I was like, answer yourself, take off all the Gs, it's going to be great. And I think that really, that really does come through. Uh, In the character. And I think that's that's what I love about working at Marvel is because there is actually a moment where people go, "Okay, does this sound like if it was actually not a fictional story, it would still make sense. And it was just great. But yeah, no, my accent does come out.
4: Mm-hmm. I think it was when we were auditioning and we were prepping the sides for cast members to read. And sides we, are,
2: like, um, just excerpts yeah. of the script,
4: yeah. Yeah, and we switched out all the Marvel words that were in it for just, like, very random synonyms. I think it was, like, we took out the word mutant and we switched in something that, like... I, it, I came up with it. It was
2: deviant. deviant yes, deviant. that's what it was.
4: And it was one of those things where it was really weird to look at the script and be like, this is, like... It's still really it's still good, but it's kind of weird that this is like a it it was very interesting to see, like, what the Marvel part of it is when you take out like the name brand things like what's left and superheroes. Yeah. And yeah, exactly what's left.
3: And it's still a really good story. It just it's I mean, obviously, Marvel is a special sauce that makes it a fantastic story. But that's that's real.
4: It's bigger, and I think what was really fun to work on the scripts for the season is that whereas Wolverine the Long Night was a very contained and set in this like isolated Alaskan town, it's a murder mystery, this is a little more of an epic quest, which has been a lot of fun to kind of piece together and chart the journey from New Orleans through the bayou and ultimately to an area called Greenhaven. So it's very different in scope but Wolverine is still at the center of it. And what I really like about the season is that I feel like we doubled the amount of women behind the mic in the yeah. studio. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, which was really great cuz I
2: feel like it was and people of yeah. color like yes, yeah.
3: 100%. Yeah. Exponentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I will say that my my favorite, favorite character, um can we say
4: Bonnie? Oh yeah, Bonnie's great. I want oh, to talk yeah. all about Bonnie. Bonnie <laughs> is my
3: favorite character, y'all. I've never been so in love with someone who is not a good person in my entire life, but the actress who plays Bonnie is just bloody brilliant. She's she's just she's just she sounds like somebody I know from home. Oh, like it's, it's so just it hear. was like really the first time I heard and this again goes back to the awesome authenticity and goes back to really paying attention to details. The first I was like, she sounds like a raspy old lady from my hometown. Yep. Cool. Nailed it. Like, and you could hear, you could like hear the cigarette smoke just like rolling off of every word. Um, but she, yeah, no. Yeah, Bonnie. Bonnie definitely. Bonnie Roach.
1: Love that. And for such a Marvel character, Dave, I like to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. I wanted to ask sort of how you guys sort of decided to take go from that small town idea Mm -hmm. to this big like sort of Wolverine is now trying to find a thing. Like what what was the process to decide that was the story for season two? Uh,
2: Well, I'm not the writer. So, uh, you know, that was Ben Percy's inspiration. Right, Chloe? That was.
4: Yeah, I think it came from a mix of a few things specifically to go to New Orleans this season. I think the big thing that we all wanted to do from Ben as a writer, for us as producers, for Chloe's director, is do something a little bigger and do something different. Because what was really fun about the first season, we set out to do a thing and we did it. And it was great and people really responded well to it, which was awesome. And so when we were looking at this season, it was more about what can we do that's exciting to us and how can we continue the story of Wolverine in a way that is the natural next step from what he was running from in season one. And the two seasons are loosely connected. So we also wanted to make it accessible to if someone knows Wolverine and wants to listen to an audio drama for the first time, they can listen to this. If someone really loves audio drama and doesn't really know Wolverine, they can listen to this. And I think we kind of hit that sweet spot, which is always a nice place to be in.
2: Yeah. And for Brandon and I coming from a sound perspective and from a narrative perspective, we felt like, okay, we did this really hard thing. We like built this complicated 3D sound environment for the first season, but it was like a crime procedural kind of. So like, you know, most of the scenes are just like a few people in a house or, you know, like on the path to finding Wolverine. And so once we had that kind of under our belts, the question we were asking was like, how can we push the form? How can we do more with this than we did last season? And I think like, to your point, New Orleans is just like a much richer, chaotic beautiful like intricate sound environment um so setting it there was so exciting to us because it was such a design opportunity but also the the narrative I think is just like a lot more complicated it's way more character driven we do like crazy transitions between scenes things that we didn't even try and do last season Um, we try like continuous shots like you'd have in a film um, you know, it's like stuff that now that we have one season under our belts, we're experimenting with and I can't wait to hear what people think.
1: So actually, we were able to do uh, an interview with Celia last year. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And we talked a little bit how you guys record all together and then you have the mic placed and then people are are differentiated between the sounds like Did you guys bring that back this time? Like, Talk a little bit about the actual recording process because I think it's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah. The recording process is really fun, I think, for the actors because usually when you do audio dramas or podcasts or even like work uh, in post-production for a film, you're isolated as an actor. You're in a sound booth. You have headphones on. You're close to the mic. And you're trying to either give multiple takes of the same line in one-off takes or you're trying to match your lips to like uh, yourself on the screen. It's just like so boring and a little soulless. No commentary there. Um, (laughs) For us, we use the mic, um, the the kind of microphone we use is called an ambisonic mic. So if you're familiar with like a 3D camera, like those Facebook videos you see where you can drag uh, the image around in a sphere, we use a, a mic that is kind of like the audio equivalent of that. So while we don't have like a gyroscope on your headphones and you know if you move your head around, the image won't change, it is a three-dimensional image. And so for that reason, the microphone becomes the anchor for the scenes. We treat it a lot like a camera. And so for that reason, there's blocking like in every scene. We're like, okay, we want um, Bonnie Roach to be close perspective on the mic and we want these characters to be distant. And at this moment in the scene, that's probably like an emotional pivot. We want you to change places or whatever. Like there was blocking that we prepared for each scene. And it's a 10 episode series. So there's a lot going on. Um, and so I would love for listeners to, to try and like notice where certain characters tend to appear in the sound field and how they move around. Cause that's something we, we put a lot of attention to.
1: I mean, when you sort of direct someone like that, it's very different because it's, you know, to direct someone in an audio booth by themselves, you just tell them to do the line again and again. But in that scenario, they're playing off of each other. Like what's the process of being in the booth and watching this all happen? So the process like of directing, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what we try and
2: do just kind of as like uh, the crazy, uh, we were talking about the craziness of production, like our checklist when we're directing is we want to get a few clean takes of the scene and then once we have a few of those down, that's where we can start to let the actors experiment and where we can also start to experiment ourselves. Um, but the process is like, I, I, I listen really closely um, and I think, For me, what it's about is listening to how the performance makes me feel and noticing where uh, I want to feel differently at certain moments than that performance is making me feel, if that makes sense. So, what quality of scary do we want from Bonnie Roach at what moment? How like crazy scary is she? How clear eyed, like psycho crazy is she? How um, menacing how, you know, like, it's just kind of like fine tuning the emotional dynamics of the way a a scene feels. And so, uh, you come up with creative ways to ask for these ephemeral things, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of like trial and error, but I think the actors really responded to it because they like to collaborate, you know, they want to feel like you're, you're all building something together, um, which, is I think what feeds them creatively. And when they're alone in a booth, it's a much different feeling. So I feel really proud of that about our process.
1: I mean, I think they enjoy it too from, from the, the loose uh, of the, of the different actors from season one that I talked to, like they just really enjoyed the process. Cause it makes, it allows them to be more of actors yeah. than, than, uh, than I know all about talking to a mic by myself. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine how it can be maybe almost frustrating. Um, but also, I mean, still fun because you get to like play with it. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So speaking of so many more people, uh, so Chloe, you know, you stepped up from associate producer to producer on this role and we talked a little bit about what that means. But like how many more challenges was season two? You're bringing a bigger sort of cast. You've got more producers. You've got now you've got consultants. What was the mantle of stepping from associate to producer?
4: The hokiest thing I say whenever I'm working on like Marvel projects is that storytelling is a team sport. And I think that that was definitely true here. Because it, when you're producing something, you're simultaneously in a leadership role. But at the same time, your goal is really just to get the team to the finish line and do whatever you can, be any kind of support you can. And you can't have a strong team without a lot of strong team members. So whereas When I was an associate producer in season one, it was a lot of kind of hopping onto tasks that were already being taken care of. And whereas with this one, it was a lot more initiative and a lot more kind of being proactive and looking ahead and even calling out isn't the right phrase but highlighting points that might be an issue down the road or like it's hey like here's a solution we can address sooner as opposed to later. Some of the challenges that came from this season weren't necessarily because I was a producer this time as opposed to an associate producer last time. It was more I think the scope of what we wanted to do this season was a lot bigger because we were talking about how New Orleans it sounds so incredibly different and one of the ways to bring it to life as successful as you can is focusing on the details. Cause ultimately like Chloe, you and Brendan, I think it's 210 tracks right now in the finale episode. Yeah. yeah, It's yeah. like, <laughs> that's what? all detail. That's the thing. And you look at it and it's like, Oh, like that's what the soundscape is. The general soundscape is like, no, but it's 210 individual details. And that I'm still generalizing because each track has so many things in it, but it, It's looking for all the details. It's looking on how to best bring things to life. And it's looking to find the way to best support everyone who's on the team.
3: Chloe, you, though, are like the whisperer of all whisperers. I've been (laughs) saying Chloe
2: Wilson 2020 for like two years. (laughs) Like only if we can have a Chloe Chloe ticket.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I did think you were using the word whispers intentionally because we have, like, the whisper effect in this season. I was like, that's very clever. No spoilers. And it's nice and clever. Huh?
3: What? Whispers? I don't know what you mean. Oh.
4: The the whisper effect, that was one of the things that Ben wrote in a script. And you guys spent a lot of time designing and figuring out what that sounded like. So that, to me, was... One of the many unique challenges for this season just because it was something
2: new and there wasn't necessarily a thing to replicate for it. Totally. Yeah. There's this one character who's able to like uh, influence people's thoughts. And it was such an exciting challenge because audio is a really emotional and intimate medium And I think it's like, it's a medium that's based in images. You know, you have, you only have sounds to evoke a clear picture in someone's head. And so when we had this challenge on our plates of like, how do we, how do we depict this psychological influence? We felt like one, we were in exactly the right medium to do it. Um, But two, like we hadn't really heard it done before. So there was a lot of kind of going back and forth about how we wanted to illustrate that effect Mm -hmm. um, that Ben, you know, wrote and that we were tasked with making magical yeah from a
4: comic book perspective the character that chloe's referencing is jason wingard and his um if you know marvel comics and x-men lore you recognize him as mastermind but what chloe's touching on is the comics are so visual and so mastermind's character specifically that he can create illusions is a very visual power (laughs) (laughs) so it's one of those things that you The fact, I'm not at all surprised that Chloe and Brendan were able to bring it to life, but it's one of those things where it's not only a unique challenge for audio at all, but it's even a unique Marvel challenge in the sense that when you have a physical comic book, it's a story, but it's also words and pictures, and you're essentially taking half of that away. And so, like, at its core, when you don't have an actual, like, physical comic book to draw from or to reference, like, what is a Marvel story? What is a Wolverine story? And I think... Chloe and Brendan have been great about building the soundscape and creating the visual that way and even that is so intimate like you can't necessarily like show a page to a friend of yours like we've Angelique and I have geeked out about comic book covers and like panels all the time Yes, but there's like I can't really give you my headphones and be like experience this exact same moment the way that I did just mm. now It's yeah, right. really yeah. subjective yeah.
3: I love old timey radio dramas and that was actually one of the things that made it so easy for me to say yes, of course, I would love to work on this because that was the feel of the first season. Far more complex, a lot more technology, but at the core of it, it's this beauty of being able to see the thing in your head but also like describing it to someone, not so easy because you saw one particular thing when you heard it. Um, I also think that's kind of the magic but also really hard to explain.
4: No, I think you're right. It's one of those things where it's it's nice to be in a spot where it's hard to explain but easy to feel. And mm. I think that is something that, again, like I can't design a soundscape. Like I give Chloe and Brendan all the credit in the world for doing that, which is very cool.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I've learned a lot on these projects about how to do that. <laughs> how to make you feel a certain type of
1: way at a certain type of moment. Well, those are like the best challenges on a set is to have something that you're like, how do I do this? How do I get it done? And maybe the time that I need to get it done. Or maybe did, as the producer, <laughs> you maybe don't think about that, but that's how I think about life. Um, <laughs> no, but I, then, I do think about that. But then when you come out of it and you've gotten you've done the thing, you're like, oh, I did that. And so then you're like, OK, cool. So what's the next challenge? Maybe it's a harder challenge. Maybe it's an easier challenge. But you know that you can do it because you did the previous challenge
2: after a long nap. Yes.
1: Yeah. Maybe some like tea. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a cuddle with your cat. There's a
3: joke in there about Wolverine the long nap and I'm just
1: <laughs> What if Wolverine was a cat? <gasps> They're cuddle. Well, I mean, Wolverine has claws and cats have claws. See? See? There we go. We did it. I connected it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is really cool about season 2, um as the like resident non- Marvel educated human, uh, in the room, uh, is that in season one, uh, Logan is like really off stage. Uh, the whole season is about like how do we figure out who's doing these things in Burns, Alaska, but I mean, you know, it's Logan. Um, they're trying to find Logan. But the effect of that is that he's like off stage a lot, which I think is such a bold and strong choice for the first season of a of a Wolverine audio drama. But, you know, this season he's on like center stage. And that was another challenge, like how we hadn't put our minds on like sustaining his character and like the energy of his character and how he would respond to one moment or another, which Richard Armitage, who depicts Logan, did such a good job of. But just like placing Logan at the center of the story was another challenge. How do we make sure that, that fans feel satisfied and that we're doing the character justice? You know, from a sound design perspective, we really wanted to make sure that it felt exciting.
1: I mean, there's a level of sort of a challenge there, right? Because Wolverine and Logan is is a character that has existed in the Marvel Universe for a long time, and there's a lot of fans behind him. So you want to obviously ring true to this character, but also at the same time introduce new people Mm -hmm. to this character that maybe they've only known in the movies or just like a flash of a character. But he is an incredibly He has so much depth. He has so many terrible things that have happened to him. Yeah. And him trying to deal with that and and deal with his past. And, I mean, obviously having Richard at the helm is pretty phenomenal. So exciting.
2: Yeah, and it's like how do we evoke that past? How do we evoke that history without weighing the story down by, like, overtly calling back to it? Um, So I think that was a really fun emotional challenge to make sure that you felt like this is the wolverine that you know and love but just in a completely different environment with these new characters
4: what was fun about this season is that we had mentioned that it was a lot more character driven and we were a lot more focused on character arcs as a result and the more you focus on wolverine's character and where he's been versus where he's going you start to introduce more people into his life and into the story so Maureen was a really great addition to bring in. Um, Gambit was so much fun to read. Um, anytime I would read Gambit's lines, like at my desk, I'd be like laughing to myself like a crazy person um, <laughs> and just like geeking out. But I know we've been geeking out about her all interview so far, but Bonnie Roach, I think is maybe the best mm-hmm. character addition because with Wolverine and longtime fans of Wolverine know this. And even if you've just listened to the first season, you know this as well, that he Logan operates in a very gray area of not necessarily right and wrong or good and evil, but he's very instinctual, he's very focused on survival, and he has so much history that there's so much baggage that even inadvertently comes with that. And I think Bonnie is such a fun contrast because she's just completely irredeemable, like, in every way. Absolutely. She's, She's horrible. She's, like... The worst character, but Blair did such an amazing job of bringing her to light, and Blair is also the sweetest person alive, and it's just so much fun to hear. You were describing, like, the cigarette smoke rolling, and that's exactly it.
3: I would, I would, I'm not gonna lie, I'd sit down and have a sweet tea with her, just so I can learn her secrets, though. Because this is a type of woman who has clearly survived a lot, and wears those scars on her, like, just literally on her chest yeah, and it's done so well and I think she's she's such a great addition from script to
4: soundscape all of these characters were crafted with such care from everyone um, Chloe Pesinos Anjali Crochet, Brendan Ben it, and also Jenny Radlett and Stephanie Kariuki from the Stitcher producer side were immensely helpful in bringing a lot of these character arcs and narratives to life and I think what's interesting about this season is that Yes, we've immersed ourselves so much in New Orleans, but we immersed ourselves so much in this group of people and you become very invested
2: in all of them so quickly. It's like so crazy to me because uh, I kind of sometimes forget that another aspect of mine and Chloe Wilson's role was to cast this project in we collaboration did that. with the That's team. That's totally right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that is a thing
3: that you did. I forget
2: because it's kind of like the most fun part of the process. Well there are lots of fun parts but it's it's you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really bad at celebrities too, so I constantly just have to google like people are like, Oh, what about this person? And I, I have to see what they look like. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, but you know, when you write a character like Marcus, this um 15 year old black kid from New Orleans, like from out like backwater of the city, like outer city, you know, that's like a really big script risk. Like, are you gonna find a, an actor who can like do that character justice? Not just because the role is so specific, but because the role needs to be sustained by a really talented performer for 10 episodes. Like that's a huge lift. And I feel so grateful that we found Rodney. Uh, Rodney does such a good job in this series. And he the actor who portrays Marcus and also like he he worked with a dialect consultant Yes. Uh, and that was another central worry of ours. You know, like, he's not hes not from Louisiana. How do yeah. we how do we nail us? Because he is the character who's the stand-in for the city, you mm-hmm. know?
3: And he, I mean, he is the consistent character. Because it's funny, because if you're in New York, it's Marcus Batiste. If you're in New Orleans, it's Marcus Batiste. Mm-hmm. Um, and its it, 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 it's such a simple difference, but also to sustain that, Simple difference on every single word is not easy. I mean, I will slip back in my accent because maintain like and it's not something I do consciously. It's just being in that environment and training yourself on an accent is is it's not easy.
2: Right. He did such good work. There's a scene where uh, uh, Marcus has a 15 year old boy is like perpetually hungry um, and they show up at this po' boy shop and Rodney having done his regional research improvised, um, can I have the scrimp and scrawberry?
3: Um, <laughs> Did he? I don't remember. Did he say that he needed his po' boy fully dressed? No. Oh. See, I know that though. <laughs> I, and I love that scene. And the reason why is that our family's favorite po' boy shop was actually an old gas station. Mm-hmm. And it was called, and it was, this was before Katrina, but it was called We Never Close. And that was a reason That it was called. We never closed because it didn't close. Amazing. And you would get the po' boy, and it would literally just be drenched with grease, and it was the best thing ever. Because you get it hot, Mm -hmm. you get it dressed, and you get fries that just came out of the grease. That was life. Like that was. So I understood when Marcus was sitting there going, "I want to talk to you, but I also want to eat this thing." Can we do both? (laughs) Amazing. Um, It's it's a very New Orleans. Yeah, we eat with our mouth full. I'm sorry.
1: Also, if you're a tourist in to New Orleans, you can go on a gator trip and you can go watch them feed marshmallows to alligators. And you're it's sure kind can. of amazing. I love to go do it. It's slightly terrifying, but also kind of cool. I spent a lot of the
2: day designing alligator sound effects. <sighs> and I feel like out of vengeance for how difficult that was, I would love to eat some gator. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not right an easy now. sound because they make sound without making sound. Well, they also sit there. And sleep for uh, and don't oh, yeah. do anything no. for like days. And then they do everything. And most of the sound they make is there's a growl and then it's indirect sound. So it's everything else that's happening that they're destroying around them. So it's the water. It's the depth of the water. It's the grass. It's the wood the that might be nearby. Slaps, the Yeah. And, and it, they themselves, they growl, but it's a very guttural sound. And
2: that's where there is, like, a level of fictionalizing that comes in. You know, we, we evoke some sounds that uh, we need that might be not completely realistic in order to just clarify
1: the image. We <laughs> mean alligators don't go, wow. Yeah, but they will in our
2: series.
3: <laughs>
1: What I thought was the most informational part of that tour was driving through the neighborhoods of New Orleans that no longer exist, yeah. um, that were devastated by Katrina, uh, and then and then seeing how people have built up their homes mm-hmm. off the bayou mm-hmm. substantially high because they were told that this was as high as they needed to go. I'm using quotations, but then J.K. Katrina devastated their homes, mm-hmm. so I think that was super interesting. Um, when I would when I would go stay, I would stay in the Tremay. Mm-hmm which was another neighborhood devastated by Katrina.
3: Yeah, and Treme, for those who don't know, is the oldest black neighborhood in New Orleans. Um, and there's actually Treme Museum there. The Mardi Gras Indians have a, a museum there. And it's, it's literally one of the most historic neighborhoods um, in the country, I dare say, um, because it existed um, more or less before the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, you know, so well,
1: and also they do. I don't know. If, I don't know if block party" is the appropriate term. But oh, they second do, line.
3: Yeah, they. Oh, do, Sunday they do a second line. Yeah. yeah,
1: we would walk over there and just like watch, and it was so amazing. I mean, I, that's such a, a. We we've talked a lot about New Orleans, but like the 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 sound of mm. that place is the thing that is the first and foremost. Like when you first were thinking of New Orleans, what was the first sound that like? What was the first sound, Angelique? You told them you were like, this is the thing.
3: Well, yeah. Well, and then I actually, and I preface this by I said, okay, are we in the city? Are we not in the city? Are we on the east side of the city? Are we in the bayou? Because this is all going to change depending on what part of the city we were in. And, you know, one of the things I, I did say is like, and if when you've listened to the first episode and you should go back and listen again and you're by the bar, and I was like, there's gravel. They're going to be walking on gravel. This is by water. You're going to hear the water. And there's always going to be kind of this light sound of music. And just knowing what part of the city they wanted to start in, it changed the way I thought about what people would even be walking on and driving on because it shifts, Um, particularly if you're dealing with folks who are fishers or who do agricultural work and they're they're further outside the city. Whereas inside the city, and, and the show does explore some places inside the city, you hear more of that click of the street, if that makes sense. And it's always raining in New Orleans, so it's always wet somewhere in New Orleans. Um, and so I think definitely the first sound I kind of thought about, just because we're, we you know it ended up starting, was a little bit outside of the city and understanding that the dynamics of what things would be constructed of would change you know whether the floor was going to be wooden or the floor was going to be tile changes the way it sounds
2: totally there's this one scene that i did a very early draft of and have iterated on since uh where obviously you know for logan bourbon street is a really stressful environment um you know it's really loud it's really chaotic there are cameras everywhere Uh, It's just not not his happy place. And so as I was designing it, I was trying to figure out, like, keeping in mind everything that Angelique said, like, how could I also stress Logan out like as much as possible? So I came up with this like one moment where I figured out a way to make it sound like a car with really loud bounce music, like pulled up and stopped at a light. And then, you know, stayed at the light and then the light turns green, you know, and this is all in my head. But what I'm trying to evoke to you is a car with loud music, windows down, pulls up, then pulls away and uh, placing in that at a moment where Logan is really stressed out. You know, it's like those kinds of things that I'm thinking about. How do I use the environment that we've placed our characters in to exaggerate or emphasize uh, like the emotional tone of any given moment in the story?
1: Is there like a sound or scene that you think is the most Louisiana, the most New Orleans that you guys have been able to do?
2: Um, I mean, I think to Angelique's point, there are just so many different textures to this place that I feel really proud of the range, you know? Like, so we have that Bourbon Street scene. I did a lot of the music selection and I feel really proud of the music that we place in this like bounce club, uh, this drag club. But then also, like you know, I spent part of the day today, like making sure that our ambiences when you're out in the bayou, like, have regionally accurate birds. No, no, it's that's, so that's so great. Good. Yeah, no, that's so great. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I, I, for listeners who aren't here, I like got embarrassed and laughed at myself, and every woman at the table jumped to my <laughs> rescue and reassurance. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know that I have like a scene where I feel like we really nailed it. I think that um, what. I feel proud of and what I think really shows in the series is that we we don't just pick one sonic signature um, for a place that has such um, such a varied identity. That's what I feel proud of.
1: Well, I want to thank you, ladies, for joining me. This was kind of amazing. I feel like I learned a lot about sound design. Clearly, you guys are going to have to take a, a road trip to New Orleans. Maybe that's the, <laughs> the next episode. at the table. We're just in a car
4: <laughs> driving. There's just a mysterious 11th episode of The Lost Trail, and it's the three of us in a car. We're back on the to trail. Go get,
2: yeah. <laughs> to New Orleans. <laughs> just to eat some grits
4: and some beignets. Call me, Call me in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs>
3: like, Y'all, you wrap? What I wouldn't give for fried grits and some shrimp creole right
1: oh, now. Man. You guys have socials, right? Why don't you throw to where your socials are? Chloe Prusinos, where is your Twitter, your Instagram?
2: Um, uh Yeah, I'm Chloe Prusinos. You can follow me at Chloe Pross, P-R-A-S.
3: And I'm Angelique Rocher. You can follow me at Angelique Roche uh, on the Twitters.
4: And I'm Chloe Wilson, and you can find me on Instagram at Chloe Saves the Day.
0: Thanks so much to Chloe. Chloe. <laughs> And Angelique for coming in and chatting with the women of Marvel and to Judy in particular. It was a really great conversation. You can listen to Wolverine the Lost Trail now on any podcast player, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Play. Also, remember very important information. Our tenth anniversary panel at San Diego Comic Con is this Saturday, July twentieth, at ten a.m. in Room Five A B. Join us; it's going to be so much fun, um, and we actually have more time to talk to you too. Because I know Q and A's, everyone loves. We're going to do more of a deep dive. Um, and if you can't be there with us in person, as I mentioned, we'll be posting from Instagram, uh, which is at the Women of Marvel. Anything on Twitter will be on the Marvel handle, but with hashtag Women of Marvel. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Marvel, your universe.